Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We are waiting to see how many people show up for a St. Patrick's Day party. It all happens so fast. You're not supposed to be in a mass gathering of 10 people. A ban on mass gatherings on a day known best for mass gatherings. Hello, welcome to the land of the free and the home of the brave. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Hi, happy St. Patrick's Day. Just as the COVID-19 pandemic was taking hold in March of 2020, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers ordered bars and restaurants to close. But one bar owner refused to go down without a fight. As of right now, you are all officially rebels like us. As the pandemic turns one, we reflect on the year that changed everything. Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Brian. We are recording this episode on Thursday, March 18th. It was a little more than a year ago, March 11th, 2020, that the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. Two days later, President Trump declared it a national emergency. That same day, March 13th, Governor Evers issued his first emergency order closing schools across the state. On March 16th, the governor banned mass gatherings of 50 people or more. And on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, the governor dropped that number to 10 and ordered bars and restaurants to close. And Brian, that's also the first day that you and I uh, went undercover together on a story. Yeah, it was a memorable uh, day. Obviously, St. Patrick's Day, there's this pandemic taking hold And we if you think back to the days leading up to that, all the dominoes started to fall as you just kind of read through some of the different uh, major events. And as those dominoes were falling, you realize there's this day coming up where everybody goes out to celebrate together and they're shoulder to shoulder packed into bars, especially in Wisconsin. And what's going to happen And so we started hearing that there were particular bars that were sort of bragging that, hey, we're not going to give in to fear and we're going to be open. One of them was Saloon on Calhoun uh, in uh, in Brookfield. And we were actually looking at a couple of different places, but they seem to be sort of the most boastful about we're not closing down no matter what. You know, everybody come out and celebrate. So we got together and said, let's go to the bar and see what happens, which, as I recall, sort of in hindsight, was a a bit of an uncomfortable experience because on the one hand, we're being told not to gather with all of these people. And here we are undercover to get a story gathering with a whole bunch of people. Yeah, it was definitely a tricky situation to navigate because we want to be able to show people what's going on. Uh, We also want to show the perspective of people in the restaurant and and bar industry, but we don't want to make it 
uh, something where it looks like we're encouraging people to flaunt health orders. So I remember you and I having a, a lot of discussions about how are we going to tell the story fairly and responsibly. And really, we came down to the only way we could do that was to see what was happening inside the bar. And I, I don't know that we quite expected what did happen was going to happen, because what we didn't know is when we set out that morning to go on this assignment, the the, the uh, benchmark was still no gatherings of 50 people or more. And it had been 250 the day before. I think it had gone down to 50. So we thought, well, maybe on St. Patrick's Day there will be small gatherings. But then when we heard the governor was dropping it to 10, we thought maybe our story is dead. Maybe this idea isn't going to work because it sounds like these bars and restaurants are all closing. Except it made the story better because this one particular place, and I know there were a handful of others, decided we don't care. We're going to continue uh, you know, pushing forward as far as we can, as long as we can. Um, because, you know, as you may recall from that time, the owner of the bar said essentially they weren't going to give in to fear. So we're sitting in the bar, and what I remember is— Well, and first let's I, back up. We walk into the bar, and right away they took the interpretation, um, and, and whether that was a, a good-faith interpretation or not, I will let our listeners decide, that the order of gathering it, it, no more than 10 people, they took the interpretation that that meant they could have— a lot of people in their building as long as people weren't in groups <laughs> of more than 10 at a time. So we walked in and they said, yeah, just stay in a group fewer than 10. And we kind of looked yeah, at each other and said, okay. In different parts that, of the bar. Yeah, we were like, that's how this is going. Okay, so that's that's kind of what we were walking into. But so when, at that moment, you're thinking, okay, maybe that's just a really loose interpretation, um, but it's not in bad faith. But then as time went on, the, Governor Evers' order actually officially took effect at 5 p.m. So we were there a little before 4 o'clock, I think it was. And then when 5 o'clock hit, something really remarkable happened. First of all, the band that was there packed up. It was a one-man band who had just started playing like 30 minutes earlier. So this wasn't typical. So that's when I think we both thought, oh, they really are going to shut down at five. Uh, they were just pushing it up till the five o'clock deadline. But when the one man band packed up to go, the owner got on the microphone and made, I think, one of the more remarkable announcements I've ever been witness to. It's after five o'clock. So as of right now, you are all officially rebels like us. And there was sort of this sense that if you were there at that moment, you were in the club of people who were defying the governor and, and, and not giving into fear of this pandemic. Um, of course, they didn't realize we were in the bar recording that on video and that that was going to be on the 9 and 10 o'clock news that night. Well, and I think things got interesting, especially when, you know, once we had an idea of what was going on in the bar, we got out of the bar um, and and you went to, to gather some material and then you went back to speak to the owner so that he could give his perspective on camera. And that was that was a pretty incredible interview. It was. And, and, and the thing is, you know, it, it ever since we did that, there's there's the, an impression that we were out to get the bar, that we were judging what they were doing and we were documenting. And I say that that is our job in many cases is to document what's happening in a controversial situation. You have the governor ordering one thing. You have health experts warning about the dangers of this pandemic and the dangers of gathering in large groups. And then you have the owner of the bar and many of his patrons who say, we don't 
we're not scared and and we think we should be able to do this. So we wanted to document that we did document it. We weren't expecting the five o'clock speech. Once that five o'clock speech happened, we knew it was going to be a pretty remarkable story. And and but I wanted to hear from the bar owner and we saw him outside. I think he might have been smoking. He was visiting outside with other employees. So we approached him. And he saw us coming, and and I expected, quite honestly, when he saw a camera, he was going to duck inside and not talk to me. But he stopped, and it may well have been that he could see he was going to have to walk past the camera anyway because he was a good ways from the front door. But he stopped, and and I said, look, if we're not here to judge your perspective. We want to hear it. Tell us what you think of all of this and, and why you're open right now. And he did. He stopped, and he talked about it. He said things that you remember, this was the very first days of the pandemic. So some of the things he was saying are things many people were saying and some continued to for months uh, after that. But he was saying things like it's just a cold. It's just a cough. We're not going to give into fear over just a cough. But in that same interview, he remarkably acknowledged that people are going to die from this. That's true. But then would say, but everyone who's here knows the risk and, and they have the right to, to take that risk or, you know, calculate that risk for themselves. Never mind the idea that it wasn't just a risk to themselves. It's the idea of spreading the virus to others. But in the end, he did give his point of view. And there are a number of people who agreed with him. And 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 the thing is, we didn't know just how long this was going to go on. But obviously, we know now what a uh, just a hammering the restaurant and bar industry took with these shutdowns. So this was for someone like the owner of Saloon on Calhoun, obviously a matter of survival. And while it may have been defiant, um, you know, he and many others have looked at this as a, a very, very difficult time for their industry. And I think they were just trying to hang on as long as they could. And I think it's interesting to look at that now with the perspective we obviously have a year later as we have more of the research and more of the science. It's been interesting to see the restaurant and bar industry has not spoken with one unified voice because you have different people who own different establishments and have different perspectives and their own health concerns. And that's something that was really highlighted to me. Uh, Jason Calvi did a story on this this week uh, where he he went back and, and talked to some bar and restaurant owners and uh, about what life is like now. And they were all saying it's it's really difficult, but he talked to some people who said, you know what, I, I was mad at the time, but now, given everything that's unfolded, I get it. I get the restrictions. So it's interesting to see what a year of perspective can do depending on the, the person you're talking to. Well, and you talk about that year. A year ago, I don't know, Amanda, if you can recall exactly where you were when you realized this was the, the huge deal it was going to be. But I can tell you where I was when the World Health Organization declared this a pandemic. I was in Mexico and uh, my wife and I were with a group of people on a, a trip and we were hearing from our friends and family back home that not only had this been declared a pandemic, but all of a sudden there was no toilet paper in the grocery stores. And the NBA, the moment I realized, oh, my gosh, this is real is when the NBA suspended its season. And we were still in Mexico, and we were swimming in swimming pools and eating at buffets and thinking, this is crazy. What are they talking about back home? It still hadn't really registered that this was, uh, you know, this was the severe pandemic that that it obviously became. And it wasn't until we got back, uh, probably about a week after we got back, that the uh, 
you know, the St. Patrick's Day, it might have even been less than a week that the St. Patrick's Day thing happened. And I don't think we had any idea what that was going to mean for us and our workflow. Um, that episode of Open Record, where we went to Saloon on Calhoun, Amanda, if you recall, was the first of our special editions of Open Record that became five day a week episodes that we were doing for months. We were doing five podcasts a week on top of our regular news duties. That was just a crazy time. Yeah. And I mean, we went from a workflow because we, you know, work on investigative pieces, we take deeper dives. We're not on the air every day like some of our colleagues, but at that point, we often were. I mean, things just kind of got flipped inside out. Uh, I know our our families in our unit were dealing with school closures and daycare closures and, and all the things everyone else was dealing with. And even now, you look at that, and even though, you know, daycare's back in session, for some people, school's back to not normal, but varying degrees of normal, it, we're still going to be feeling the effects of this and and unpacking the effects of this pandemic for a a really long time you know and I, and i do know you, do you had, remember where you were when when all of this started um i i mean i knew it was serious i knew it was serious when the the sports world started to take it seriously and started canceling things um and that's you know and not because you're some huge sports fan <laughs> no. yourself but just what it says about yes. a major economy taking that hit. And I remember the day that the governor's order closed down the schools. And then literally 45 minutes after that order came down, you know, picked my daughter up from daycare and they were in a flurry and they basically said, yeah, we're, we're closing too. Um, and they were, they were actually closed for several months before reopening. So I remember my husband and I looking at each other going, how, are we going to do that? How are we be, we both going to do our jobs with a toddler who super conveniently had just learned how to walk and run and get into things? And that that was with one kid. That's not having to deal with a virtual school. That's not having to deal with a lot of things that a lot of parents had to battle. I know several. I know several moms who ended up leaving the workforce because someone needed to be home with their kids. I know several family where. People's jobs were lost. You know, we had some conversations in our house, you know, when there were there was talks of pay cuts. And so, you know, we're reporting on this massive thing, but we're also experiencing it. So for for me, I think it was it was, you know, seeing everything kind of shut down in the sports world um, combined with my daughter's daycare saying we are closing indefinitely. Well, and you you're a new mom at that point, a relatively new mom where yes. your life has already been turned upside down and it's like you, you did probably had no idea that oh, we're also going to add a pandemic to that. Yeah, so if I, I think about my time at Fox 6, I'm coming I'm I'm not far away from 3 years here at Fox 6. I basically I got here, I got pregnant, had a baby, so I was on leave for almost 4 months with that. I come back and it was like I had just finished pumping. I had just gotten into this like routine as a as a new mom. And then the pandemic hits and then uh, we're adjusting to 
that new normal. And then I get pregnant again. So it's just been a really wild ride these these last few years. But I don't think anyone could have anticipated, you know, the effects this was going to have. Brian, I actually remember having a conversation with your daughter who is in high school and her saying, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can get back before the end of this school year. And I remember my husband saying something like he was like, I don't I think you're going to be excited if you can go back for next school year in the fall. And that seemed like such a like a an out there statement to make that seemed like such a dramatic statement. But lo and behold, that was the discussion that then unfolded. Well, if you think about it, we were talking in, in the beginning of all of this about a two-week shutdown. Everything was, we need to shut down for two weeks. It's a drastic action, but we need to shut down, which was supposed to flatten the curve, to keep the cases from spiking so high that hospitals would be overwhelmed, that resources couldn't keep up with the people who were sick and dying. And and so we thought that, all right, well, it's going to be just two weeks if we can weather this. It's a crazy time, but hey, spring and summer are coming. What a great spring and summer it's going to be if we can get through this. And then two weeks became four weeks and then two months, and now it's a year. And obviously, there's been a lot of controversy over much of that. There's been, there, there was the controversy over the original Safer at Home order that went to the state Supreme Court when it was challenged and was shot down, and then the mask orders and other restrictions. So all of that we know has played out. But what I really think back to in that time is when we thought it was going to be two weeks, We were sent home from the station with almost no planning time and had to figure out how we're going to do news from our living rooms and basements and bedrooms. And and so for the first couple of months of the pandemic, when we were doing five podcast episodes a week and all of our day turn stories and, and emergency stuff, I was sitting on the edge of a couch in my basement, hunched over with a coffee table as my desk and a laptop computer and no monitors and my back hurt and I was working 12 hour days and I was sore and tired and stressed. And I I think you and I can probably both recall a time where we both just about reached our breaking point and we're like, (laughs) I don't know how much longer we can do this. I, uh, I I remember the exact conversation you're talking about where I think we each had kind of a a mini meltdown. Um, And that's, I mean, I think that's just, That's human nature, and that's something that a lot of people have experienced, maybe not even just once, maybe multiple times during the pandemic. You have the mental health component and the emotional component, and, you know, if you're a working parent trying to navigate all of that. And and the one thing I hear from every industry when we're talking is there's no playbook for this, right? That's what the schools will say. That's what the restaurants and bars will say. There's no playbook for this. And it, it was the same with our, you know, our working situation. And really going forward, when we talk about reentry and now there's a vaccine, there still isn't a playbook. We're still kind of winging it. We're used to it more. But, you know, we still don't know what the next several months will bring. 
You know, I think about movies you watch where sort of things for the the main character, the protagonist, get progressively worse and worse and worse. And you think, how far are we into this movie? At some point, it's got to get better. They've got to be able to start resolving this. And that's the way it's been with the pandemic. Things just kept getting worse and worse. And it was going to be two weeks and then a month and then two months. And then you start hearing could be 12 to 18 months, which seemed absurd at the time. Well, here we are over 12 months and we're going, yeah, it's probably going to be at least 18 before things are kind of back to somewhat normal because the the vaccines. But but we're on the back end, like we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. The worst of the cases were in the fall. Uh, I think in in mid-November, we thought, how could this get any worse? This is dire. And then things started to alleviate. The vaccine started rolling out. It's been slow but steady, and we're seeing the progress. So we're not seeing hospitals full and overwhelmed anymore. We're seeing cases that have dramatically dropped. We're seeing vaccinations speed up, and we're getting toward a point where we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think after all this time, maybe we've just been conditioned to be a little more patient now, but knowing that there is that light at the end of the tunnel, I think makes this more palatable. My mom, who we know is a regular listener to the podcast, has gotten both of her vaccinations. Um, my uh, my daughter, who works for a child care company for the YMCA, has gotten her first. Um, more and more people are getting those shots. And, and that means, you know, the more who do, the sooner we're finally out of this thing. And that seems like as good a place as any for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal and have a little fun by answering a question we have not prepared for. And to ask us this surprise question, we are once again joined by Open Records executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hi, Sarah. Hi, guys. How's it going? It's going well. We, uh, we're we all prepared for another fantastic question that you have put all kinds of thought into, right? Yeah. Oh, well, duh. On Monday, I had a question and I was ready. I even wrote down my answer for it. I was ready. And then I saw the outline of what we were going to do for this podcast. And I kind of shifted it a little bit um, because it's kind of in the same uh, wheelhouse here. So my question to you guys today is, you know, you guys have spent the last, you know, many minutes talking about the pandemic and just a year later and reflecting and stuff. Um, so if you guys could give yourself some advice, your March 2020 selves, what kind of advice would you give yourselves knowing what you know about how you've made it through the last year? Well, there's sort of like practical advice. Practical advice would be get yourself a desk and a comfortable chair a whole lot sooner. (laughs) It's going to be better for your physical health because, um, you know, having what feels like an office, it feels a little bit better than sort of that, like hunching over the coffee table uh, on a soft couch kind of thing. And the couch sits low and I was I was in a lot of pain. Honestly, I was in it it, it was physically draining uh, on top of being sort of emotionally and and psychologically draining. But I think sort of advice in terms of just the year ahead, knowing what was to come, I think to some degree it was it would be to to be kinder to myself um, to 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 recognize that we're all in a tough spot and everyone's going through changes. And, uh, you know, it's it's OK to just take a step back, breathe and realize you're going to get through this. Um, I, I think. I, I was surprised by how much I've I've enjoyed, and I'm almost a little bit afraid of losing this, but how much I've enjoyed being at home where I'm closer to my wife, I'm closer to the dogs, I'm closer to the kids, I'm 
you know, things are more accessible. And so there, there have been positives that, that have come with it. So I guess my advice to myself would be just, you know, be kind, take it easy. Yeah, it's tough. You're going to get through it. Um, don't stress so much. You know, this job, and Brian, you and I talk about this all the time. This job is a really strange combination of ego and crippling self-doubt, <laughs> like without a pandemic. And so it's a cycle. Yeah, it's a constant mm-hmm. cycle. And crippling self-doubt probably probably <laughs> plays a greater role than any of them. Yes. yes. So and that's without a pandemic. So along the same lines as you, I mean, I just think by nature, like a, a lot of journalists, we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make sure and and. A lot of that is merited, right? We have a, a very large responsibility to tell stories that our viewers need to tell them well, to tell them fairly so that people can be informed and think critically about how we're telling that. That's already, it, it, it's hard because that becomes part of your identity and it becomes part of your self-worth. And then throw in a pandemic where you're drinking from the fire hose of news and you're still trying to put that critical thought, but by nature, because of all the news that's happening, your workload has doubled or tripled. It is really easy to be hard on yourself and to get wrapped up in this this identity and, and this idea of, of burnout that can very easily happen. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think... Uh, the advice that I would give myself is to to stop and remember who I am outside of work and what my value is outside of work and what my role in my family is outside of work. Because that was a, a really large struggle where when I felt like I was doing decently in my job, I felt like I was being a a crappy mom. And on the days where I felt like, wow, I killed this whole mom thing, I felt like I wasn't giving work my all. And someone put it this way. It's not that we're working from home. It's that we're sleeping at work. Like we ended up working <laughs> yeah. a lot yeah. more <laughs> mm-hmm. than we than we were before. It wasn't like let's put our put our feet up at home. Although Right now, my feet are literally (laughs) up as I record this podcast um, because I'm eight months pregnant. So I think think that would be the advice I would give myself. The advice I would give to other people is, you know, when we talk about burnout and we talk about stress management, if one more person tells me to do yoga, I'm going to scream. Like, I think (laughs) – I think that – as like a society, we all kind of need to start telling ourselves when, when we're talking about burnout and stress management, there are just a lot of phrases and things that have lost their meaning. And I think that, what they meant was have frozen yogurt. Yes. I think well, that's frozen what Frozen yogurt sometimes is much more helpful than yoga. And I'm not, this isn't dissing yoga. <laughs> I enjoy yoga it sometimes can be helpful but that doesn't solve some of those more core issues of you know when you feel like you're spiraling which I think everyone has felt like at some point in this pandemic it requires a a lot more um 
emotional work than that. So that's Sarah, what about rant. you? You know, I, I think I, I would echo kind of what Amanda says in that I think the standards that I had set for myself were so high and I never even took into account the fact that I'm not in the office. I'm not collaborating face to face with people. And so when it was time to do my job, I set standards that were so high that that when I didn't reach them, I immediately felt like a failure because I was just so busy spinning all these plates. So, you know, in that regard, and Brian, what you were saying about, you know, giving yourself a, a second to go, hey, it, you're okay, like you're doing okay. And and for me to be spinning so many different plates, because, you know, I do, I work with you guys, I work with the news department, I work with sales sometimes, I work on other station projects. And so to be working with all those people, spinning all those plates, that when I finally would would break one of the plates, you know, my boss was like, I don't know that you're suffering. <laughs> so like, you know, you, you literally don't suffer in silence. And so, you know, I, just to have the empathy, just to be able to say, hey, look, coworker that I don't see every day now, like, I know you're going through some stuff and I know it's difficult and I get it, you know? And so it's it was easier for me to say, hey, other people that I work with, like, and give them a break. Like, I know you're going through some stuff. I never gave myself a break. And, and and I'm sure a lot of people felt that too. Like I was, I was understanding that, you know, Amanda's got a little kid at home. And so, Hey, it's okay if you don't get me that story script right when you said you were going to, or, you know, Brian, you got to do this. That I, I get all that, but I never said to myself, Hey, you also have two kids at home and a husband that's working at his office, you know, physically at the office. It's as you say that there's literally one climbing right behind you. And that's the beauty of it. It's no, but that's the thing. That's that's the reality of this is we've mixed these worlds. And, and you know, I, I one really important piece that seems small that if I could give myself and I, I don't know if you guys feel this way. One thing I would like to go back and do a little differently is to just tell myself to get dressed and take a shower each morning like you're going to work. <laughs> yes. yes. Because no, it's, it's so true. easy not to. And when you don't, and I, I got to tell you how many times I've been caught sitting here with just scraggly hair, five o'clock shadow, wearing a sweatshirt and shorts, or, you know, t-shirt, whatever it is, and then find out, oh, you're interviewing the attorney general in 20 minutes. And I race <laughs> upstairs and I'm trying to like shower off and shave really fast and put on a coat because you don't want to look like a fool in the, in the Zoom interview you're about to do. But I think there is something to getting yourself prepared for a day, even when you're just working from your bedroom or your basement. Well, that was a great question. Another great one, Sarah. No surprise. And I can't wait to see what you had prepared. I guess you'll bring that one to us next week. If you have a question at home, if you're listening, if you'd like to submit a question to our new Off the Record segment, or if you have a topic you want us to discuss on the podcast, an issue you think we should investigate, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. With that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and for Brian Polson, we will be back next week. <laughs>